Hello, welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines. With the annual American Society for Virology meeting coming up in two weeks, we are talking with graduate students and postdoctoral researchers who will be attending the meeting. Thank you very much for um, uh, talking with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so currently, I mean, so I'm Elizabeth Dragonova. I am a postdoc at Tufts University at the medical school on the Boston campus. Um, I work with Ekaterina Heldwein or Katya. Uh, we work on herpes viruses. I'm also a part of the IRACTA program that's at Tufts. So that's an NIH program for training postdocs and careers in both research and teaching. Um, so I can also speak to that aspect. Oh, great. Um, uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in science and then ultimately virology? Yeah, so science, I guess, to me, I've just always been interested in since I was, you know, just started take, taking classes in school, you know, as I went up into high school, it was just always those classes that came easier to me. And I think that's just because I was just generally more interested in them. Um, I find that the things I'm more interested in, I, I tend to try a little harder. at, um, And so science just always very interesting. And then I took a, an AP biology course when I was in um, high school, and that kind of really opened my eyes more um, into science. And then when I went to undergrad, so I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia, um, more so a town that's about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Um, and so I went to a small liberal arts college, and I was doing really well in organic chemistry. And so my undergrad professor who was teaching was like, hey, have you thought about doing research? Um, but my self-confidence was very low at that point. And I was like, oh no, I would never approach someone about doing research. <laughs> um, and so thankfully because of him, I got involved in doing um, peptide synthesis. But then I realized that synthesis was very boring to me. <laughs> As approaching graduate school, we, so I, the peptides I was designing were meant to be inhibitors of HIV-1 protease. And so I was like, oh, well, these proteins are really cool. Maybe I should go learn more about proteins. And so I, I went and did um, graduate school in Atlanta in a chemistry department, but I was doing more biophysical chemistry on nothing related to viruses. Um, so I was actually working on bacterial pathogens. I was looking at heme binding proteins. Um, and so we were looking for different alternatives to um, antibiotics that would uh, revolve around iron starvation of bacteria. And so that was a great experience, but I still, I, so I desire to have an independent research career. And I was like, I still need more like structural experience. And that's how I got to know Katya here at Tufts. Um, and I also wanted to join an IRACTIV program and Tufts had the IRACTIV program and she does crystallography and cryo-EM. And so that's actually how I got into viruses. Um, I never was really into viruses until my postdoc, but now I think I'm sucked in. So can you tell us a bit, little bit about this uh, teaching program that you referred to? Yeah, so this is um, a national program. It's a K-12 NIH mechanism that's awarded to institutions across the U.S. I think right now there's about 20 to 25 programs. Um, and so they all, they're all structured slightly differently based on the institution. But the way that it works at Tufts is that um, we have Tufts as the main institution that runs the program. And then we have three partner institutions. So those are going to be local schools in the area that are not typically R1 universities. And those are like our teaching partner schools. We have about 12 to 15 postdocs at any given time that are in our IRACTA program. Um, and they're from all parts of the Tufts campus. So not just the medical school, we have people from chemistry, physics, all different um, backgrounds. And we're all interested in either R1 um, or R2 positions, or a lot of us are interested in um, PUI or primarily undergraduate institution positions. 
And so what we do is we have a lot of career development. We get to do teaching at these partner institutions that we work with. So we can kind of get an experience as to what it's like to just teach our own course. We can build one, we can teach an existing one. Um, we get a lot of you know, expert advice on grant writing. We do job application workshops ahead of time. So before we put together our package, we have a whole workshop that we do it together. And it's just a really great cohort um, to be a part of. So. so can you talk a little bit about that? So that that career path is maybe not as traditional as, you know, as people say. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. So how, you know, this sort of idea that you would be doing a job where you actually have a lab, but you're actually a teacher at the same time. Can you kind of talk about know the competing demands of that or what that kind of job looks like yeah so I actually when I started my postdoc I had full intentions of going to a primarily undergraduate institution so I can talk about that but I have actually switched and I am now pursuing an R1 institution Um, but I can I can speak to both and there's nothing against uh, primarily undergraduate institutions I just realized that the the science that I started doing I just fell in love with a lot and I just knew I wouldn't be able to maintain it at a primarily undergraduate institution just because of the types of facilities and the types of students um, I would just need larger amounts of funding to do what I want to do but I have a lot of respect for the people that do go down that PUI path um, because you are having to mend depending on the institution right so there's some that are very teaching oriented There's some that are, like you said, half research, half teaching. Um, And so you have to be able to have a research program that undergrads can work with. So you have to think about, you know, students who are going to be coming out in and out of your lab very frequently. They may only stay for a semester or two. So you have to have really short, chunky projects that they can get in and get some data out of. Um, And those places may not necessarily require you to publish as intensively as an R1 institution would for tenure. So that's a pro to that. If that's something that you know that you just really hate writing papers and you prefer to be with the students in lab, then that's like a good career choice for you. Um, And a lot of places like that, they'll um, put more emphasis on your teaching in terms of for your tenure. Um, And actually, I know a lot of those places aren't even really sticking to the traditional tenure track anymore. A lot of them are doing um, these kind of yearly review positions. Um, that are kind of moving away from that tenure side of things, since we know tenure can have some negative connotations with it. Um, but yeah, so there's all different levels of those positions. I mean, you could be at 100% teaching with absolutely no research and still be a tenured faculty member, um, or you can do half and half, 75, 25, it just depends on what you're looking for. Okay, and so I guess maybe then to give us some perspective on why you switched, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the research you're doing and sort of what you're then thinking about for the future? Yeah, so I work on this really cool protein, although I think everyone thinks their proteins are cool, but mine is super cool. (laughs) Um, So it's a herpes virus protein, as I mentioned, work on herpes viruses. And one of the things that makes these viruses so unique is that instead of replicating in the cytoplasm, they replicate in the nucleus. And so in the nucleus, that's where they undergo this DNA replication. And then that DNA has to then be packaged into a capsid before it can move on to become a mature virion. Um, But the capsid itself is very big. And so it can't just like fit through the nuclear pores to get out of the nucleus. And if everyone remembers, a nucleus is a double uh, membrane uh, organelle. And so the capsid actually interacts with the protein that I work on. It's a viral complex called the nuclear egress complex. And this protein arranges at the internuclear membrane to bind to the capsid. And that capsid then buds through that membrane. So it pushes on the internuclear membrane and forms this bud into the paranuclear space. 
Um, and so I've really been working on that step and how understanding how the nuclear egress complex or the NEC, that's what we like to call it, works. And so what we found is that if you just give it synthetic liposomes that it can bind to, the NEC will undergo this budding process without any help from other proteins, other energy. And we've done cryo-electron tomography to show that it arranges into this hexagonal coat. Um, so it forms these hexagonal oligomers to do so. And so it's just this like little budding machine. It does it very rapidly and it's a really cool protein to work with. Um, and so I'm not going to pursue studying more of the NEC particularly just because that's what my you know, postdoc advisor works on. That's her, her project. But I am taking an aspect of that project with me. Um, so one thing I found was um, I was looking at interactions with the NEC and other uh, capsid proteins. So in the absence of a capsid. And what I found was that um, one of these capsid proteins, if you took a portion of it, could actually inhibit the NEC. And so given my, uh, my chemistry background, I've always envisioned my future lab just being a very bridge between chemistry and biology, having some chemistry aspects to my lab. And you know, the NEC protein that complexes can serve across all herpes viruses. And so it's an interesting therapeutic target because it's something that all the viruses require. And we are lacking a vaccine for all herpes viruses or a cure for all herpes viruses. Um, and so people, I have published recently on inhibitors of, of the NEC. And so that's a project I'm gonna be pursuing. Um, I applied a K99 for it. And so hopefully I get that and can work on that. Um, but another aspect of my future work that I wanna do is this whole idea of the assembly process. So I wanna look at how the capsids actually assemble in the nucleus since that whole process is still not totally clear. Right, and can you tell us a little bit about sort of some of the types of experiments that you do or are planning to do? So like sort of more specifically, what are the types of experiments that you do to kind of look at these processes? Yeah, so since the NEC forms that, um, that big coat, a really great technique for looking at large coats or um, repeated arrays is cryo-electron tomography. And so that's a form of cryo-electron microscopy. Um, and essentially it's, uh, it allows you to get these like 3D structures of any kind of like lattice or repeating arrangements that you can see, um, like we see on the membranes. And so that's one of the experiments that I do. I do that in collaboration with Hongzhou's lab at UCLA. Um, I was able to get some grants to do some training in it, but one of the downfalls of, that we've been having at Tufts is that we don't have cryo-EM on campus. So it's been pretty difficult to do that, um, especially if you're not, you don't have a scope there that you can you know, consistently keep going with. But we do have schools around the area that we do those experiments with. Um, another experiment, I, I always, we do X-ray crystallography in the lab. Traditionally, we're a structural biology lab. Um, so I'm currently, I have some crystals of the NEC of a mutant that I'm working on for another project that I'm growing up and we have beam time coming soon. Um, I've done a variety of other biophysical techniques. So we do SPR, I'll be doing, which is um, surface plasma resonance. So it's a binding study. I'll also be doing some BLI, biolayer interferometry, which is similar to SPR, looking at binding. Um, we do dynamic light scattering, multi-angle light scattering um, to look at how the protein interacts with liposomes. Um, yeah, and we do a lot of confocal microscopy and fluorescence. And so a lot of these techniques will carry into my future work, but I also want to dabble into some other biophysical um, techniques that are coming about for um, viral assembly that are more, more newly established, such as um, charge detection mass spectrometry to actually look at charge states of intact capsids. Um, and so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Not great. Um, and then um, I guess, can you just talk briefly, since you're in your postdocs, or how did you Mm, choose your graduate um, lab or your postdoc lab? How did you choose the institution? And then kind of what were you looking for in the two different labs? 
Yeah. So for my, I've changed so much in the things I thought I was going to do. Um, so when I first entered for graduate school, I actually really was having, I, I got excited about chemical education uh, research. And that's just because I was doing a lot of teaching, um, like a teaching assistant in my undergrad. And there was an undergraduate professor there that was actually studying how students understand chemistry. And I really resonated with that because at the time I was still, I am still very passionate about teaching, but you know, I was a student who was subjected to maybe not so effective instructors compared to the ones that were very effective. Um, and I mean, really, it makes such a difference in the outcome of the students. And so when I realized that there is someone out there that's actually studying how students um, learn and how textbooks should be written and how there's different learning strategies and pedagogies, I got really excited. And so that's actually what geared me towards Georgia State, which is where I went for my um, uh, my PhD, because they have a chemistry education research track, but ultimately the PI's lab who I joined is director of the undergraduate STEM for the entire institution there. Um, and so I ended up not doing the chemistry education research, but I still, because of her, I was able to combine both my research and still get those opportunities through additional teaching. And so I wasn't even really thinking about like, oh, doing this additional postdoc. I thought maybe I was just going to open up and do some chemistry education research and that, that's how it was going to play out but then I really like the science and I was like, man, I really want to keep pursuing this and see what else is out there. Um, I wasn't doing any crystallography at the time. I was doing a lot of um, unfolding kinetics. I was doing some mass spec, doing a lot of circular dichroism, fluorescent spectroscopy. And I was working with this really stable protein that I could like leave on the bench for like three weeks and it would be active and like it wouldn't die. And then I came to, I eventually came to herpes viruses and those proteins are not okay if you don't keep them on ice. But anyways, um, and so I was just wanting to pursue more of that. And that's really what led me to the postdoc. And so a way to kind of mend this whole, I, I still am interested in pedagogy where can I go where I can still be involved in that and get additional scientific training? And that's how I learned about the IRACTA fellowships because that we do courses where we learn about active learning, um, process-oriented guided inquiry learning or POGL, um, peer-led team learning. And so I, you know, I guess if maybe a lot of people who are currently at R1s who don't um, appreciate teaching as much as I do may not think that this is worth my time. But for me, a lot of these things that I've learned about in the classroom really adapt to how you mentor students in the lab. And so I think I am still gaining a lot of valuable experiences that I can bring together. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how it flowed. Um, and then uh, for everyone, this has been like a pretty stressful, uh, difficult year, year and a half. So can you just talk a little bit about how this has affected you sort of as a person, but also as a virologist? Yeah. Um, let me, which one should I answer first? I'll answer the virologist one first. Um, so when the, you know, the, the whole thing started and we had the shutdown and we were spending more time at home, you know, and I would get on social media and I guess it's kind of seeing this whole divide between scientists and the just general lay population in terms of people assuming this whole thing was a conspiracy or that it was no big deal. Um, and seeing people that I know pretty well, who I thought I knew pretty well, like kind of coming out and saying these things, it really frustrated me. Um, and it, it kind of lit a little bit of a fire inside of me though. It's like making, making me come back down to earth to realize like how much scientists really need to be engaging with our communities so that when these things happen, they trust what we're doing. Um, because I just think, you know, this whole thing has just been, it has spiraled and I'm sure you're very well aware of all of that. And so for that, that aspect was very difficult. Um, 
shutting down was also, you know, it was hard, especially being in a postdoc. I actually had just come back from maternity leave. So I had just taken time off after having my first child. And then I had to take more time off, but thankfully I was in the midst of writing a paper and a grant application. And so I was able to keep myself busy. Um, but the only thing that was not great was we got reviewer comments back. I couldn't do the experiments until I could get back into lab. Um, and so personally, I mean, like I said, I, I had my first child. And so I had just gotten back into the world, started feeling independent again. And then this happened. Um, and so we were having to navigate childcare. I mean, daycares were closed. Uh, we had to get, uh, we started this nanny share with another, with some neighbors, which was great, but it was still difficult to maintain. And then the worst thing that happened was um, my daughter actually ended up getting um, COVID from our caretaker. Um, and so, I mean, that's, she was, you know, everyone was wearing masks except for my daughter because she was under two. And so that's no one's fault. I mean, that's just how, that's just how it went. Um, you can be asymptomatic and not know, and we had no way of testing our caretakers. And so um, unfortunately that's what happened. And then my husband and myself also got COVID. And so we were out for almost a month dealing with that. Um, and it's scary. I mean, being a new parent and, you know, it's awful helping, you can't help your child. And then they have this virus that no one really knows what's going on with children versus adults and like what the long-term effects are. Um, and so mentally that was not, that was not great. Um, but thankfully like Tufts is so supportive. We had people checking in on us. Um, we had people helping us with testing, making sure, you know, we had everything that we needed so that we could get through it. Um, so that was, that was good. But yeah, I mean, it's been a very stressful <laughs> stressful process but we're back in lab now and um it's it's been good it's been good to be around people so great yeah. great well um we look forward to your uh, new work um you're not talking about it at asv this year right right and um, well i'm talking about those um inhibitors of the nuclear egress complex that we identified yeah oh great so we look forward to your talk um and good luck um i assume you're looking for uh, starting to look for new uh, positions as faculty soon is that right yeah, so I actually went on the job market last cycle just to kind of test the waters. I don't think it was a very accurate um, estimation of how many positions may be available. It definitely seemed to be damp or hampered by the pandemic. Um, yeah, but I, I did that as well as I applied for the K99 um, grant, which scored really well. I got my just-in-time request last week, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that things will move smoothly. Um, but that'll give me additional time, but I'm going to continue to stay on the job market and see how it goes. Well, good luck. We look forward to your talk and good luck with your job hunt. Thank you. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Backright, and thanks for listening.